Well, let's dive into the pages of Scripture and get wet with the ink tonight. Judges chapter 5. Just a couple of things to mention to sort of bring us to this point tonight. Let's remember that the book of Judges, one of the main themes is that our God is a God who delivers. Psalm 68, 19, the Lord deserves praise day after day. He carries our burden, the God who delivers. And one of the things we've been learning in the book of Judges is that even in the darkest days of Israel's history, God was at work and he was delivering his people from everything that was keeping them from being what God created them to be. He was delivering them from their oppressors. He was delivering them from bondage to sin and the power of sin. God is a God who delivers. And we've also seen that one of the themes of the book of Judges is that God works in our lives and in other people's lives in the darkest days. God does not take his hands off of our lives whenever we've really messed up and walked away from him. We, as we've said, uh, we don't have to pour Clorox over our lives and spray Lysol for God to get involved. In fact, God is an expert at getting involved in messes and making something beautiful out of our messes. And that's what the book of Judges is all about. And last week we saw this tremendous deliverance that God brought through Deborah the only female judge in Israel's history, and a woman by the name of J.L. that we're going to once again be reintroduced to tonight. But what Judges chapter 5 is all about is this. You'll notice in verse 1, on that day, what day? Well, back to chapter 4, verse 23, the day that God humiliated King Jabin of Canaan before the Israelites, it was on that very day that Deborah and Barak stopped and wrote and sang this victory song. Chapter 5 is a song, a song that was written during some of the darkest days in Israel's history. It reminds us that even sometimes during the darkest days of our lives, as we see God move and work, there are still songs to be written and songs to be sung. In fact, it was Jewish custom that to celebrate special occasions, Jewish people would often express themselves in song. We have a whole book of the Bible, in fact, the largest book of the Bible, the book of Psalms, that are 150 songs. Moses wrote some of the Psalms, and Moses wrote some songs that are recorded not just in the book of Psalms, but in books like Exodus and Deuteronomy. David wrote many Psalms, but not all of his songs are in the book of Psalms. Some of them are in the books of Samuel. And Deborah And Barak wrote a song that's not contained in the Psalms, but it is a song to our God about his deliverance and his moving in the lives of his people. And it is found in the book of Judges chapter 5. One of the cool things about songs is that we remember songs, don't we? 
I can remember the words to songs that I hadn't sung since the 1960s. Now, I know that shocks most of you because you don't look at me as a day over 25. I I get that, but I remember songs that I haven't heard for decades and all of a sudden maybe on television or on the radio or something, I'll hear this song and all of a sudden I'll start singing along with it. I'll go, how in the world do I remember the words to that song? I think that's one of the core reasons why it's great to to write down in some respects what God has done in our lives and and maybe even to write a song. Because for some reason, it seems easier for us to remember the words to songs. And I want to start out tonight just breaking this song down, looking at the sections or stanzas or whatever of this song. And I want us to see some different aspects about the things that Deborah and Barak wrote about. First of all, though, I want you to notice that Deborah and Barak there again in verse 1 wrote this victory song. That even in the darkest days of Israel's history, God was bringing victory to his people. And God wants to bring victory and deliverance and release and redemption and healing to our lives today as well. That's why Paul said in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why Paul said in 2 Corinthians that God always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. See, Jesus Christ is a winner. He's not a loser. And if we're involved in him and in what he's doing and in what he's accomplishing, we will win. God does not want to see his people have their lives be characterized by defeat and discouragement. God wants to see his people's lives be characterized by victory, and by progress, by overcoming, by conquering. And that was true here, even in the darkest days of Israel's history. The reason why they could celebrate deliverance and victory was because of the coming of God. I want to skip the first couple of verses there, and I want to first direct your attention to verse 4 and 5, where Deborah and Barak write about the coming of God. And this reference, I believe, reaches back to God's coming to his people in distress in Egypt and meeting with them at Mount Sinai. There at Sinai, where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, God had taken Israel as a people unto himself, Exodus chapter 19. There he came and met with them. But God, and this is Deborah and Barak's point, is not stuck at Sinai. Rather, the God who decisively came to Israel at Sinai comes again and again to the aid of his people in their present troubles. God is not stuck in some kind of historical concrete somewhere in the past. The one at Sinai who moved and met with his people is mobile marching forth again and again to bring deliverance to his sheep and to his flock. And when he does, Deborah and Barak says, creation comes unglued. 
earth trembles, clouds pour rain, mountains shake. Notice the words in verses 4 and 5. Oh Lord. And you'll notice in your translation that the word Lord should be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is the name, the covenant name for God in the Old Testament. The name Jehovah. O Lord, when you departed from Seir, when you marched from Edom's plains, the earth shook, the heavens poured down, the clouds poured down rain, the mountains trembled before the Lord, the God of Sinai, before the Lord God of Israel. It reminds us that when God, in a sense... And I realize we're, we're attributing human characteristics to God, but it's a way that, at least in some way, we can wrap our minds around the infinite God. That, that when God gets up from his throne and moves, man, everything in the universe just goes off. In fact, it's very interesting and very challenging to me as a child of God that when you read about creation... That every time God moves, creation recognizes and acknowledges its maker and is moved by the moving of God. And I think to myself, oh, that throughout my life, I would have been like the mountains and the seas and the clouds and, and all of that. That I would have acknowledged and recognized the moving of God and would have been ready just to do his bidding and to obey without question, just like the rest of creation and the whole universe does. When God moves, he moves. And he has everything in the universe at his disposal. We saw last week the details as we peered into chapter 5 ahead of time about how God did use creation to bring about the deliverance. You remember the story that this general of the Canaanites who had been oppressing the Israelites for 20 years had 900 chariots of iron. And yet the the Bible says that God was able to immobilize this great military force by sending so much rain that all these mighty chariots got stuck in the muck and the mud and the mire. You read about it over there in chapter 5. Look at verse 21. In fact, the the previous verse, verse 20 Deborah and Barak are saying, the universe was fighting against General Sisera. From the sky, the stars fought. From their paths in the heavens, they fought against Sisera. The Kishon River carried them off. The river confronted them, the Kishon River. The horses' hooves pounded the ground. The stallions galloped madly. And the chariots were immobilized, so Sisera ran off. From the battle. The coming of God. And it's great to know that God comes to his people. Not necessarily when they were repentant. Not when they deserved it. Not when they cleaned up their mess or anything. He came to his people because he just wanted to help them in their misery and in their oppression. He did not want to see them live one more day. In that condition. You also notice here in Judges chapter 5. That the coming of God came at a time where Israel again was desperate. They were hopeless. Times were so bad that folks couldn't even travel safely. Notice in verse 6 
and 7 of Judges chapter 5. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, caravans disappeared. Travelers had to go on winding side roads. Warriors were scarce. They were scarce in Israel. It was so bad, so full of violence, that people just stopped traveling. They couldn't trust that if they went off to to see a relative or a friend, that they would get there alive. That's how bad it was. That's how violent it was in those days. And because of that, Israel was totally defenseless, having neither warriors nor weapons. And yet that's when God came. Probably when Israel felt like all hope was lost, there's nothing more we can do. Sometimes it is only when God's people see how hopeless they are that they can appreciate how mighty He is. Put desperate people and a sufficient God side by side and then let the latter, or excuse me, the former, learn to rest in the latter. That's what God wants to do in our lives. Sometimes we find ourselves in absolutely desperate, hopeless situations. And the reason why God may take us there, and we're going to learn this throughout the book of Judges, is because as long as we think we've got the resources and we've got the strength and we've got the wisdom to be able to figure this out, we don't turn to God or rely on God. But when we get to a point in our lives where He's all we've got. Then we usually recognize he's all we need. Always remember that when you feel desperate, God never wants you to feel like you are backed into a corner with no way out. If you feel that way in your life, that's your spiritual enemy putting the pressure on you. The Bible teaches there is always a way out with God, even when there seems to be no way. And we just have to simply, as desperate people, sometimes rest in the sufficiency of our God and know that He is able. Again, as we've said throughout our study already, He may not keep us from the fire, but He will give us the strength to get through the fire. I want you to see something. Keep your finger there in Judges chapter 5 and turn over with me to the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. The book of 2 Corinthians where Paul makes this same point in such a dramatic way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. I love how the Old Testament and New Testament just are in such harmony And as I've read these verses at times in my life, I could identify with Paul a little bit, and I'm sure you could as well tonight. Maybe some of you are going through just tremendous hard times in your life. I'm not minimizing the struggles that you're going through. I just want us tonight to maximize the God that's there to deliver us. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, regarding the affliction that happened to us in the province of Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, 
so that we even despaired of living. I've been there. You've been there. God, this is beyond me. I thought you, we, we rehearse these verses back to God as if he doesn't know them. Uh, God, I didn't think you were ever going to give me something that I couldn't handle. First of all, that's a misinterpretation of that verse. But anyway, God says, no, I'm always going to put you in a place where you can't handle it so that you'll turn to me and see that you and I together can handle anything beyond our strength. God always takes his people at times beyond our strength so that we find a strength in him that can take us beyond our strength so that then there's nothing that can come into our lives that can ever totally defeat us because it may be beyond us, but it's never beyond our God. Indeed, verse 9, we felt as if the sentence of death had been passed against us. We thought it was over. We were finished. We were done. But notice, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Paul says, we even got to the point that if, if they killed us, We were just thinking, well, maybe God will raise us up. We've seen him raise other people. He'll raise us too. We're not going to let them kill us, stop us, because death can't stop our God. And then verse 10, a favorite word of the book of Judges and of the apostle Paul. He delivered us from so great a risk of death, and he will deliver us. Therefore, we have set our hope on him that he will deliver us yet again. Paul's basically saying, I don't care what the world throws at me. I don't care what they do to me. When it gets beyond me, I've got a God that nothing is beyond. And he can deliver me. And he will deliver me. And even if our enemies kill me, if God wants to, he can raise me up again. I cannot be defeated. For God always leads in triumphal procession those who are in Christ. The coming of God for his people, even in the most desperate, hopeless times that they found themselves in. I'm so glad I know a God that even sometimes in my life where I've made the mess, God doesn't say, sorry, Jeff. No, he wants me to learn a lesson, but he also says, reach up and take my hand and let's get going again. The God of the second chance. In my case, probably the God of the millionth chance. But I love that I have a God like that. And a God, when he moves, creation comes unglued. If Judges chapter 5, if you go back there, talks a little bit about the coming of God, Deborah and Barak do spend much time in this song on the people of God. In fact, verse 2, except for verses 4 and 5, verse 2 through verse 23 is all about the people of God. 
And notice how they begin back up in verse 2. When the leaders took the lead in Israel, and when the people answered the call to war, praise the Lord. Look at verse 9. My heart went out to Israel's leaders, to the people who answered the call to war, praise the Lord. Look at verse 8. God chose new leaders, then fighters appeared in the city gates, because the old leaders wouldn't step up and seize the opportunity and obey the voice and leadership of God. And so God says, you won't follow, I'll just get somebody else who will. The picture, though, that Deborah and Barak is painting is simply this. Yes, our deliverance was all about the coming of God, but God uses people most of the time. And if it wouldn't have been for some of the people in Israel being willing to step up and follow the voice and leading of God in their life and step up to the opportunity that God was calling them to do, then this would have never happened. And you see this wonderful cooperation between a mighty God and the people of God who finally get it and say, God, I just want to be part of what you're doing. Wouldn't it be great if in every church and in our country today, we could say when the leaders stepped up and really led and when the people stepped up and answered the call, praise the Lord. Wouldn't it be great if, even in a church, if everybody that God was calling and moving in their life would just step up and do what God is calling them to do, what a transformation would take place. Most of the time, in any organization, and churches aren't any different, 20% of the people that come do 80% of the ministry. Think about what it would be like if all the people did ministry. If everybody stepped up and answered the call that God was putting on their heart and pouring into their life. That's what made the difference at this dark time. And God was giving out a call even in the darkest days. When Israel was struggling, God was still calling people to step up and seize the opportunity to serve him and minister to him. Also notice this, and I hope this will be an encouragement to you. In verse 7, one person, one person can make a difference. Because notice in verse 7, warriors were scarce. They were scarce in Israel until you arose, Deborah. Until you arose as a motherly protector in Israel. All it took was this gal who had a heart for God to step up and say, God, I'll do what you need me to do. I'll follow. I'll be a leader. Whatever you need me to do, God, I'll be willing to do. And as I've said all the time, it's not our ability, it's our availability. And Deborah just made herself available and God used her mightily. One person can make a difference. One person stepping up to God's call can make a difference in a church, in a family, in a community, one person can make a difference. Maybe that person tonight is you. Maybe you've been trying to suppress whatever God has been calling you to do and asking you to step up and assume some type of responsibility or, or ministry or to change direction maybe a little bit in your life. And you've been saying, no, I get it. I've been there. For many of you that know my story, for 10 years, I said no to God when I knew he wanted me to be a pastor. 
So I know what it's like to say no to God when I know what he's calling me to do. Can I tell you that the day I released that and said yes to God was one of the greatest days of my life? I felt like a thousand pound weight had been lifted off my shoulders because all those 10 years that I, in a sense, was running from God and not heeding the call of God on my life, I was pretty miserable. It's so much better just to give in to God and accept that call. One person can make a difference. Not only that, but notice in verse 12, God's people need to wake up and praise him. In verse 12, part of the song is, wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up, sing a song. Get up, Barak. And the idea in the Hebrew language is that the people of God need to be awakened to praise God. That it should be something that as God is moving and, and, and doing things in our lives, that we are awakened not just to follow his call, but also to correspondingly praise him for the way he's working in our lives. That's what I love about Judges chapter 5. It reminds me in my life that it's great to pray and, and see God work and bring deliverance and all of that like we saw last week in Judges chapter 4. But too often in my life, after I see God deliver from something, I just move on and keep on trucking. And I don't take the time that Deborah and Barak did to say, wait a minute, as Ryan was saying, we need to raise up a stone here. We, we need to stop and praise God. We need to acknowledge what God has done here and not just move on to something else too quickly. We need to pause. And too often, especially in our rat race lives, we're just so busy and going here and there that God can move and work and we just keep on trucking and, and we don't take enough time, I believe, to pause and, and, and journal and write down and acknowledge and confess and, and say out loud what God has done and is doing in our lives. So Judges chapter 5 is a challenge to us in that as well. Also notice that there's a contrast here in all these verses. A contrast between those within Israel who were willing to step up and even risk their lives to be part of what God was doing and also the scorn directed at those who played it safe and weren't willing to join the battle. I pick it up in verse 14 where we first read about those who were willing to be part and they accepted the call. They are commended. They came from Ephraim, who uprooted Amalek. They follow after you, Benjamin, with your soldiers. From Makir, leaders came down. From Zebulun came the ones who march according or carrying an officer's staff. Issachar's leaders were with Deborah. The men of Issachar supported Barak. Into the valley they were sent under Barak's command. Look at verse 18. The men of Zebulun were not concerned about their lives. Naphtali charged onto the battlefields. And it's a picture of, again, those people in Israel that said that times are tough. They're desperate. Somebody needs to step up and make a difference. And we may risk our lives doing it, but we're not going to sit back and watch our brothers and sisters charge the battlefield by themselves. Here we go. But not everybody, not everybody accepted the call. Notice at the end of verse 15. Among the clans of Reuben, there was intense heart-searching 
Why do you remain among the sheepfolds, listening to the shepherds playing their pipes for their flocks? As for the clans of Reuben, there was intense searching of heart. I just want to stop there a minute because it reminds us that Reuben thought about getting involved and jumping onto the battlefield. It wasn't like they didn't discuss the matter thoroughly. In fact, they talked a lot about it. But they concluded it wasn't a good time to leave the sheep. We've got to be careful in our lives that when God is calling, that we don't just talk about it. That we are people of action. And that we say yes and get involved. There's a time for planning. There's a time for talking. And there's a time for doing. And this was a time in Israel's history for them to get up and get involved and be part of the battle with their brothers and sisters. Notice also in verse 17 that others in Israel were preoccupied with their profitable maritime trade. Gilead stayed put beyond the Jordan River. As for Dan, why did he seek temporary employment in the shipyards? Asher remained on the seacoast. He stayed by his harbors. And so you see the contrast. There were those that stepped up and took the challenge and seized the opportunity and cooperated with what God was doing and saw God use them in the deliverance of his people and others just played it safe and stayed home and said, no, I'll leave the battle for someone else. And then there was Miraz, verse 23. Where through Deborah and Barak, God says, call judgment down on Miraz, says the Lord's angelic messenger. Be sure to call judgment down on those who live there. Because they did not come to help in the Lord's battle, to help in the Lord's battle against the warriors. See, notice, it wasn't Israel's battle. It was the Lord's battle. Which reminds us, as I remind myself many times, I've got to choose my battles in life carefully. If I know that this is a battle that God wants me to fight, then guess what? It's not really my battle, it's his battle, and he's going to see it through. That's why David could go and confront Goliath, the giant of the Philistines, because he knew this wasn't his battle, it was God's battle, and God was going to make sure that Goliath went down. When you and I are fighting a battle that we know God is involved with, we have every right to be confident in the outcome of that battle. But there are times in my life where I chose to get involved in a battle that God said I should have never gotten involved with. And guess what? I suffered some pain for getting involved in those battles. I got beat up. I got wounded for getting involved in a battle that God would have said to me, don't get involved in that battle. That's not a battle that I'm going to be a part of. So choose our battles carefully, but when we choose the battle that we know the Lord is a part of, we can be confident, as these people were, that this wasn't their battle, this was the Lord's battle. And he wanted all of his people to get involved in what he was doing. Many times we have it just the opposite in our life. We're over here doing this, and we're like, God, come over here and get involved in what I'm doing. No, that's not the way God works. God says, Jeff, I'm over here doing this. You come get involved in what I'm already doing. You see. And that was true in Judges chapter 5. And Miraz not getting involved must have been a particularly 
embarrassing thing for Barak because that was his hometown. That was his people. And they wouldn't even step up and help Barak, who was the general of Israel's army. No, Miraz wanted to save their lives, and so they lost it. It reminds us of the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 9, where Jesus said to them all who were following him at this time, If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. God was calling his people at this time in history, in a sense, to lose their lives so that they could save their lives. And many of them were more willing to hold on to their lives and in the end, lose it. Thankfully, some of Israel's tribes, though, were willing to lose their lives and save them. I also want you to notice this. Though Israel's deliverance in God is God's sovereign and mighty work, his people are not to sit passively by. They are to participate actively in his mighty work. It speaks ill of us when we are satisfied to rest secure while our brothers and sisters are struggling and suffering. God wants us to get involved in what he's already doing. All that we are needing to do is just figure out where he's working and get involved in what he's doing. So we see the coming of God. We see the people of God. Quickly tonight, I want you to see the justice of God. When we get to verse 24, there's also a contrast. There's a contrast between two women. The mother of this general who was a cruel oppressor of Israel. We would say today he was a serial killer or murderer. A raper of women. A sacrificer of children. And one that God had tried to reach out to. And bring to repentance for years. And he refused. And God, the God of justice as he is, finally said, enough is enough. You are done. And God used a woman by the name of J.L. to be his instrument of justice in Sisera's life. And many people, when they read about J.L. and others in the book of Judges, again, they're a little taken back. But remember, a lot of these guys and gals, they, they weren't necessarily spiritual leaders. They were more instruments of justice in a, in a physical, military way. And so notice also at this moment, beginning in verse 24 of Judges chapter 5, that this section is a detailed, slow motion, blow-by-blow blow rehearsal of what I call Sisera's Waterloo, or last stand. The most rewarded of women should be Jael, the wife of Eber the Kenite. She should be the most rewarded of women who live in tents. Now remember, I'm going to jump ahead here for a moment, but I want to make a point that I didn't make out loud last week. This woman killed this general with a tent peg and a hammer. And we said these Bedouin women, it was their duty, as it still is today, that it was their duty to always put up the tent and tear down the tent. So you can imagine, she has put up tents and torn down tents and hammered tent pegs thousands of times in her life. She probably thought, this is just something I do that's routine and, and, and getting pretty boring and whatever. And yet, 
it got to a point where what she had done hundreds of maybe not thousands of times became something that saved her life and the lives of thousands of women and children in Israel. Don't despise, my friends, those things that you do every day over and over again that you and I may think are mundane, routine things like hammering tent pegs. Because there may be a time in our life where our ability to hammer a tent peg could save somebody else or be used by God. Don't despise the things we call routine because, my friends, in the Bible, nothing is small or routine with God. He asked for water. She gave him milk in a bowl fit for a king. She served him curds. Her left hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She hammered Sisera. She shattered his skull. She smashed his head. She drove the tent peg through his temple. As I said last week, there's a woman for you. And and here's a woman of courage, too, because she understood if I miss the first time, I'm dead. He will get up and he will kill me. Between her feet he collapsed, he fell limp and was lifeless. Between her feet he collapsed and fell limp. In the spot where he collapsed, there he fell limp, violently murdered. J.L., when God had had enough of the cruelty and wickedness and evil of Sisera, God finally, the God of justice, says, Enough. You are done. And God used a gal. To take him out. A Bedouin. A gal who lived in tents. God can use anybody. Then notice the contrast with this general's mother. Verse 28. Through the window she looked. Sisera's mother cried out through the lattice. Why is his chariot so slow to return? Why are the hoofbeats of his chariot horses delayed? The wisest of her ladies answered. Indeed, she even thinks to herself, no doubt they are gathering and dividing the plunder. A girl or two for each man to rape. Sisera is grabbing up colorful cloth. He is grabbing up colorful embroidered cloth. Two pieces of colorful embroidered cloth for the neck of the plunder. I want you to see in this picture that Sisera's mother is a picture of false hope. Expecting something to happen that will never happen. They keep telling themselves everything will be fine when it will not be fine. How many people today are looking out the window of false hope? Their hope is not in God. Their hope is in everything and anything but God. And they keep telling themselves... Everything's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. My friends, without our hope and anchor and stability and security in God, no, it won't be okay. There is real hope, biblical hope, and there's false hope. And that's part of why we need to get the message of Jesus out because He is the only hope for this world. He is it. The Bible says there is no hope except for Jesus Christ. And then the song closes talking about the kingdom of God. 
Notice the final note of Deborah's song speaks of God's kingdom. Here we have both a prayer and a call. The first line is a prayer. May all your enemies perish like this, O Lord. It's an echo of what Jesus prays when he says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Deborah is simply in an Old Testament way saying, God, thy kingdom come. And Deborah and Israel saw God's overthrowing of Sisera and company as a foretaste, a preview of what God will do when he finally conquers all of his and our enemies. God's overthrow of Jabin and Sisera is a clear witness that the reign of God is really coming. That the kingdoms of this world one day, according to the book of Revelation, will become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. Judges 5.31 is also a reminder that the conflict was more than a conflict between two opposing armies. It was a conflict between the forces of darkness and the forces of light. And beyond this prayer is a call from Deborah and Barak to fickle Israel, to love God and find strength in Him. Notice at the end of the song, may those who love you shine like the rising sun at its brightest and the land had rest for 40 years years. To love him was Israel's first covenant responsibility. God said, first covenant responsibility for my people, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the first commandment, the first commandment of the ten that God gave to Moses was No other gods. And yet at this time in Israel's history, what were they doing? They had forgot God. They had abandoned God. They had rebelled. And they had made themselves graven images and idols that they were bowing down to and worshiping. That could not see even though they had eyes. That could not hear even though they had ears. Could not smell even though they had a nose. So Deborah when she sings of this, the Israel who had forgot God, who had went into idolatry, who each succeeding generation did more wickedness than the preceding generation, when Deborah sings this, she is trying to prick Israel in her heart and have her as a nation ask herself, have I loved God? Am I loving God? Will I love God? And the question I asked is, and what about me? Am I loving God? Because notice in Judges 5.31, those who truly love God will shine and experience rest. Rest. And remember, rest in the Bible is not inactivity. Rest is the ability to completely rely on one for something that I can't do myself. 
and to rest in that. That's why God could say in the Psalms, be still to his people and know that I'm God. Don't don't be all agitated and all worked up and all tied in knots and all upset. Completely rely on me and allow me to do for you what you cannot do for yourself and rest in me. Tonight, if you haven't already experienced the deliverance of God and the coming of God into your life, I want you to know God is at work. You may not see it, you may not sense it, but God is at work. And I just want to leave you with this challenge before we close in prayer tonight from the words of this song. I know my God is faithful. God is there for his people. But as his people, am I more like some of the tribes in Israel that were willing to step up and accept the call of God in their lives and charge onto the battlefield, seize the opportunity that God was calling them to do? Or am I, my life more characterized right now by these other tribes over here who were willing to play it safe and stay home and all of that? You know, something else I want to mention, because a lot of times when we come to books like these in the Old Testament, we, we do have a hard time rejoicing when God brings down an oppressor like Sisera, because we've never been so oppressed or crushed by tyranny on a significant scale. That's why we frequently fail to appreciate Old Testament texts like this. Because we really can't understand them from our comfortable homes, churches, and workplaces. We don't know what being oppressed cruelly for 20 years is all about. But what we can do is we can answer the call. So I'm just asking you tonight, whatever that looks like in your life, whatever God is speaking to you to step up and do, say, whatever, I'm just asking, won't you be obedient, be like those people in Judges 5 that stepped up and answered the call? Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for being a God who is moving, a God who is delivering, a God who is redeeming and saving, and even a God who's going to battle for his people. God, help us to realize tonight that the battle that we may be in is not a battle that we may be fighting alone. That we have to realize, God, if this is a battle you wanted us to fight and you wanted us to get involved with, that you're there with us. This isn't our battle. This isn't our fight. This is yours. And we just give it into your hands. And we're just going to continue to trust and put our confidence and completely rely in you to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God, help us to be a people who will rise up and answer the call in our lives. Inspire us, Lord, with these passages from the Old Testament. Instruct us, challenge us. Use them, Lord, to draw us closer to you 
and take this army of people that come here every Tuesday night and take us back out there into our community and help us, Lord, to make a positive impact in the world in which we live and bring us back again next week in order, to, Lord, again, once again, to just be refreshed and recharged to go back out into the battle, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, I love you. Have a great week. See you next week.